Welcome to the Brain Coffee Podcast, where doctors Eric Luthard and Albert Kim unlock life's little mysteries about health, wellness, entertainment, technology, and how the brain makes sense of it all. Sit back, relax, and open up your mind. You went on a cruise, right? Yeah, for my first cruise. I'd never been on one before. I was a little afraid of it because, you know, I, I tend to get seasick on smaller uh-huh. boats, uh-huh. and I, we were worried, and, but it was fine. It's that a big boat, so <laughs> it's cool. fine. Uh, there are a few problems still. Like yeah. what? I mean, I always have trouble sleeping in these uh, uh, kind of, an, whether it's like a nice hotel or I guess in this cruise, like the bed's too soft for me. I'm like princess in the pea. I need like a firm surface to sleep on. Really? Which is kind of crazy considering we could sleep on a dime in a residence. Right, right totally. I could like fall asleep on a chair. Yeah, so I, I just kind of had bad sleep and, you know. Do you take anything for it? No, not really. I, I don't. I know they're new, they're new things that, we, I mean, we probably prescribe some of these right, things, right? right, right. But no, nah, I just kind of grin and bear it. And the interesting thing is, you're right, that a lot of times we, we will prescribe uh, uh, various medications to help yeah. sleep, but I, have, I avoid them a lot. And, uh, I know, I, I think they should be sort of the last ditch effort, right? I mean, right. there are other things you can do to improve your sleep before you head to medications, you know? Right, right, right. Well, the funny thing is, like, I'm re- like, I'm a different sensitive sleeper in the sense of... Oh, know, yeah, what happens? What, what, what are you sensitive to? So, so for instance, uh, like if there's any sound, uh-huh. I, I can't go to sleep. So, as an example, like, you know, uh, I think it was like two weeks ago, like some neighbor a block away was having a party and there was just this, this kind of, you know, just in the, you could hear this thump, 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 like, so, you know, and, <laughs> and I was like, you know, do I, do, I, do I call the police or like, you know, do I... Do I, do I, do I, do I like, no one else can hear it in your house though, right? Right, right? Well, the thing is like, you know, my significant other, she's like, well... You were the loudest snore in the world, like you know, like you know, and so I, I you know, and I, I, although I didn't deny this emphatically, I, you know, I always snore, and uh, and you're immune to your own sounds. It's really interesting, yeah. like you know, but like this, dun, 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 like this subtle sound. I was like, this has got to stop, you know, and it, y- yet, yet, you know, she has to suffer through my uh, my loud snoring every night. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure you didn't think Ambien when you heard the thumping. You probably just. I don't know, maybe put yeah. earplugs in or call the other house or something, right? right. right? Uh, I mean, what kind of things would you think about doing, you know? Well, I mean... Of your sleep hygiene or whatever they call well, it. Well, that is a good, you know. Um, actually, a couple years back, I had a lot... I was you know, kind of chronically sleepy, and I actually saw a, oh, yeah? a sleep specialist. And, I mean, I think one of the things as far as sleep hygiene is... There's several relatively straightforward things. I actually... And actually, I've kind of stayed off to this day. Is like, he said, okay, stop all caffeine and all alcohol for a month oh and not that i was that that'd be hard drinker, for a heavy caffeine drinker but but the, the caffeine was tough and uh, I see. and certainly i think uh you know staying off the caffeine is an important sleep hygiene so yeah something like you know after 3 p.m don't drink any coffee right. something like that right, right. That ideally sense. if you, you know you should if for, if you're truly trying to kind of correct sleep or you're having problems with chronic sleeping you guys get off it completely and actually the truth is um, after I did that, my sleep got a lot, lot better. I see. And I think you do get into this negative cycle where you're sleepy, you drink some coffee, or you drink some tea or something like that, kind of peps you up, and then you feel more sleepy, and you, you take it through the day to kind of keep you going, and then you get home, and then it's hard to get to sleep or get high-quality sleep. Right, right. And uh, maybe just to get more specific about it, I, like there are a few different parts of sleep, right? Some people have trouble getting to sleep, right? Uh, some people have trouble staying asleep, and then some people think 
maybe maybe some people sleep just fine, but they feel like they're getting not getting enough sleep. Well, that, that's you know when you think about sleep, there's these numerous phases of sleep. Right, right. You know where you've got you know kind of the big categories are kind of you know you know kind of uh, REM and non-REM. REM standing for rapid eye movement. And, right. Uh, and during these different you know sleep stages, one, two, three, four, and you've got slow wave sleep and then you know REM sleep, and each of them is really important for kind of you know. Uh, uh, your brain's homeo kind of brain's homeostasis, right? Whatever yeah. it is, getting rid of toxins or exactly. consolidating yeah. memory, or you know things we've talked yeah. about. In the past. But what's interesting is actually the, all mammalian, virtually every every kind of living thing sleeps, right? But we actually don't really really understand kind of you know, what sleep does. Like yeast sleep, I think. Yeah, you know, yeah. fruit flies sleep, and um, and they all everybody has a circadian rhythm. And it does something that is metabolically important for our brains or our, our physiology. Right. We don't quite understand it, but some people, you know, uh, don't, you know, uh, can't go to sleep like me and the, the guy partying down a block down the road. Some people kind of you know, wake up, you know, kind of frequently. And, but sometimes people sleep, and the quality of their sleep is poor. And again, we mentioned, you know, kind of. REM and slow wave, and basically you're not getting those critical stages of sleep that right. allow your brain to do whatever it does, you know, to kind of make it uh, um, healthier when, when you wake up. Yeah. And as a classic example, I think, is I don't know if you've ever had this situation where uh, you got for dinner, you know, and maybe you get a couple glasses of wine, you know, nothing, nothing excessive, but afterwards your sleep is terrible. That's what happened to me. Oh yeah. I mean, you're, you're probably your slow wave sleep is disrupted in that yeah, case. Yeah. Or your REM. Well. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that you basically, even though you are asleep, that uh, the quality of it is not restful. Yeah, and and so the medications we use, they affect the same, same thing, right? They affect the stages. Yeah. So the original thing we used to use, right? Um, the sedatives are benzodiazepines, right? Like right, right. Ativan or uh, things like that. Um, right. Al Alprazolam or Xanax, I guess, is a very common mm -hmm. one people mm -hmm. take for right, right, right. Um, for sleep, but the problem is you get addicted to that, right? Right, and and the the quality of the sleep is poor. Meaning right, that you right. know, I mean, again, these benzos, what they're doing is they're basically uh, kind of you know uh, uh, attaching to your uh, uh, GABA receptors, which are uh, those are the, the receptors on your neurons that inhibit neural function. Right. right so I think right. they're globally suppressing brain function. Yeah, that's right. Is the GABA A channel right when they're when the medicine engages, a certain salt flows through, and right. then and then you're inhibited, right? Right, exactly. exactly. The interesting thing is sleep is not really a, 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 an inhibition of brain function, right? It's actually quite an active process. Yeah, it where, is, you yeah, know, It's sure. just an alteration of, you know, kind of your conscious state, and it, but it's, it's a deliberate active process where your brain has to do something to kind of reset it for the next day of consciousness. Right, right. So but global inhibition is not actually sleep. That's true. I mean, the only thing that maybe you can argue is inhibited is input from the outside, right? That's right. So there's right. this internal dialogue occurring when you're sleeping, but you can't really, hopefully you can't hear the thumping from the right, next right, right. house. Or, or my own snoring. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So, the, you know, there are newer drugs. So, so the problem with the old set of drugs um, for the, these receptors is that you'd get addicted and then you would have other problems. Um, right. I mean, one rebound of the anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, you stop taking it and you have withdrawal and rebound. I mean, or the worst thing, you know, it also inhibits other things eventually, like your your drive to breathe, right? Right. right. So yeah. you'll, which is a problem. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. if you overdose on benzodiazepines, you'll stop breathing, and that's right. why people will die, right? So wasn't that um, Michael Jackson? He was. They were putting him to sleep with propofol, right? And a benzodiazepine. Yeah, that's right. And I think that was part of the reason that he. Yeah, he, he probably stopped breathing. Yeah. Exactly. 
So they have newer drugs, uh, again, probably that we prescribe, um, uh, that I'm, I'm sure that you prescribe. I mean, like Zolpidem or Ambien, mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. more commonly called. And apparently it's the same receptor, GABA-A receptor, but it's a different site. Interesting. So you don't get all these other effects as much. Mm -hmm. uh, they call it hypnotic effects, but they don't. you don't have the anxiolytic effects, the anti-anxiety effects, uh -huh, or, uh -huh. or some of these other things. Um, but I don't know how long... I, I, but I think... But Ambien also is, I don't think it's as addictive, but people become dependent on it. Yes, it's still addictive. That's right. For people to get, so they, it helps them get to sleep. But the problem is they become dependent that if they're going to get to sleep, they have to take it. That's right. Yeah. So, so I, I, I mean, I only give patients just a couple of pills, but I, apparently you can only do that for a couple of months. And after that, like you said... It really becomes challenging. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are also other weird things about Ambien you hear, you know, on the well, news. Well, yeah. The, the, I mean, and this is, you know, again, the, I, I'm definitely exiting my level of expertise. Yeah, here. me too. But I've just but heard about the news. Where, yeah. for instance, there's these, you know, you, you hear about stories. I think there's one, you know, in Britain not too long ago where, you know, people uh, are absolved of murders because <laughs> right. they, they basically were taking Ambien and they apparently, like, you know, woke up or, or didn't wake up and they either strangled or, yeah. or, or killed a, you know, a spouse and and it, they didn't remember it. Right, right. Hard to know, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, well, you know, so we're talking about super rare things. Right. I don't right, know. Right, these right, people right. might have been screwed up in some other way to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, but but there have been uh, uh, the some of the side effects that are noted for this drug things are things like sleepwalking. You know, that's a good, you know, right, right, that's a good sleep one. driving. I sleep heard. murdering. Right. You know, like you know. <laughs> But doing things and you don't know they're going on because it's hypnotic, you know, right. so. Right, 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 right. That's a good point. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the question, I guess, is, I mean, are those people still responsible? I mean, this is not even a, this is it, not a medical question yeah, it's, anymore. Yeah, it's more philosophical. Or like legal, if you, yeah. If your body commits a murder, you know, are you still responsible <laughs> for what your body does if your brain is in some way not participating? Yeah, you know? right, right. Um, or a part of your brain's participating and not, yeah. not the full person that you are. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I guess you imprison the body, like, um. At the same time, you're, uh, you know, there's an interesting parallel here to REM. You know, uh -huh. in REM, you, you think and dream crazy things, right? Right, and, right, right. But your body's paralyzed right. uh, intentionally by your brain. Mm -hmm. um, I, mean, one, I mean, maybe in some sense this is doing something like that, but then you're... You're released. You're, yeah, you're releasing that paralysis. I, I don't know. It's an interesting had, thing. Actually, here's an, another interesting uh, thing. Have you ever had sleep paralysis? Do you know? Do you know the phenomenon of sleep paralysis? I well, I I don't know if I don't not pathologically, but I've definitely so, had dreams where. Well, the, the, there's a very it, you know it's, it's actually documented really through kind of medieval times where and it's there's very characteristic features for um, kind of what is called sleep you know, sleep paralysis where basically you wake up mm -hmm. and you're having a nightmare right and you can't move and you right. feel paralyzed. And very commonly, and again, this has been described in literature, both scientifically as well as going back, you know, you know not millennia, but um, centuries, where, and there's some type of, you know, like, quote-unquote, demonic or, like, you know, um, negative presence associated with that sleep paralysis. Oh, right, right. And, and, like, there's these really famous, you know, kind of, you know, paintings, you know, from... Uh, uh, Renaissance times about like the demon sitting on somebody's chest, right? And, I see, I see. But um, yeah, no, I, I've definitely experienced something like that. I mean, I've, have had, you, have I've you? had that happen. Where, yeah. yeah, like where you you know you think you're awake, you can't move, and then there's something bad happening, and uh, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know when the last time might have been, but maybe in high school, some aliens chasing me. You're trying to run, but it feels like your legs are in molasses, yeah. right? 
but then you kind of start sensing you might be in a dream, right? Yeah, this, yeah. And you can't. I, this I transition just, period. Yeah. yeah, I just remember very clearly, like I was in bed and I was awake, or I thought I was awake, but you know, and so there was some kind of you know devil or something like that, and but I couldn't move, you know, yeah, and like, right, I was right. terrified. It was, uh, but I always remember that experience. But but I think that gets at this this issue of REM. And kind of ha- where I think that your, your brain was a little out of kilter where basically it was still paralyzing you. Right, right. You know, it was still letting you dream, but you were more awake than you should have been. Yeah, exactly. But it, it is really interesting. So the REM, and you probably know this better than I do, uh, your, your brain activity during REM, uh, if you look at it on an EEG, looks more like when you're it's, awake. It looks identical to right. when you're awake. That's right. I mean, it's just that some of the motor pathways are inhibited, so you have this that's sleep right. paralysis. Yeah. But your brain looks like it's awake when it's dreaming. Well, and that's why it's called rapid eye movement, REM, is that uh, uh, your eyes are moving as if you're interacting with mm. some, you know, kind of external world, right? That's fascinating. Yeah, so you know, you're, you're, you're having, it's, it's a, it's, even though you're unconscious, it's very conscious-like in terms of the physiology and what your body's doing with the exception of your body. Right. And, and for, because of this uh, phenomenon, I mean, you have all these sci-fi stories, you know, which, uh, what is the real world? Exactly. You can totally see where that comes from. You know, there is a, um, there is a, a kind of this uh, movement, oh, what is it called? Deliberate dreaming or some type of where people can train themselves to wake up in their dreams. There's a movie coming out on this, Lucid Dreaming. Lucid Dreaming, that's it, yeah. right. Where And one of the, the graduate students in my laboratory was like practicing lucid dreaming where you can become aware that you're in a dream and then kind of like you can you can fly, you can do, you know, you can be in your <laughs> virtual world in your brain. Oh, that's interesting. And you can, you know, like you say, I want to lift this building or I want to turn into a dragon or a caterpillar or whatever. And, right, um, right. and you can do it. And so there's some, there's some really you know, avid proponents of this idea of lucid dreaming. Oh, I think I you have try to, that. You have to, like, I think, you know, uh, we were actually thinking of creating a brain computer. He wanted to create a brain computer interface for lucid dreaming, so, like, wear a headset. And then as it picks, up, picks out that you're in REM, like, gives you a ding or a bell so that you can, like, have some stimuli to know you're in I see. In yeah, the yeah, dream. It's, like, the equivalent of pinching yourself. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I actually learned how to do hypnosis when I was a resident. Uh-huh. So I could actually hypnotize my ECOG patients. Did it work? It did. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the patients I think got so so hypnotized, and we looked at the, the brain rhythm changes, and there were theta rhythm changes. Huh. So I, I think it's doing. It, it's probably a form of uh, induced meditation. Oh yeah, I can believe that. Yeah. You know, uh, and you have to be open to it. It's not exactly, like someone's exactly, controlling right. your mind. Yeah, right. Uh, no, that's you right. You need to volunteer yourself for it. I. I I do think that's probably true because some people are more susceptible than others. Right. Like if probably, you don't want to be hypnotized, yeah. you're not getting hypnotized. Yeah, it's I, kind I of agree like if that. you don't want to meditate, you're not going to get into right, a meditative right. state, right? Yeah. Whereas I think hypnoti- I guess the maybe the way to think about hypnosis it's it's coached meditation. Yeah, I I will buy that. I mean, I don't know a ton about it, but I, I can buy that. That's what? probably a good thing. Have you ever been to a hypnosis show? <laughs> I was just watching one on uh, YouTube actually. Uh-huh. It's funny that you ask. Yeah. I mean, and I remember there was a hypnosis show when I was in college, and uh, and they had people doing crazy things. Yeah, one wonders about that, um, especially when yeah, especially in front of an audience, going to sleep instantaneously. Right. Uh, you know the the whatever hypnotist does act like a chicken. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Why is it a chicken? I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah, I like chickens, but <laughs> right, right. But we, they always have to make you act like a chicken. No, I, I, I actually think they did that in my hypnosis show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know why. It's a meme. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
Have you been following this uh, this amazing story in Thailand about the <laughs> absolutely the twelve year old soccer kids? Yeah, like, and they got stuck in a cave two miles in. I know. I, it's 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 amazing that they could get these kids. I I, I really fear for li- their lives. I mean, they some of the divers were going. One diver died. Yeah, one diver died, but they're going through caverns three miles underwater just to reach these guys. Right? I, it's extraordinary. It's amazing, and and I heard they had. Um, uh, the the oxygen in the cave was uh, hovering on fifteen percent. Really? Yeah. So you know it's twenty one percent for yeah, right, us. Right, right, right. And uh, the difference between the atmosphere and our bodies causes the diffusion. That's how we get oxygen. Right, 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 right. I mean, you're at fifteen percent now. That you're that's, really pushing it. Yeah, that's and, 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 and they there. didn't they didn't eat for nine days. Oh right, right. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, the whole kind of physiology is really like, for instance, when they first found them. Uh, they could only give them small amounts of food. Did you mm. know about this, right? Because if, if you're, for instance, if you're starving for a long period of time and then you eat a lot, it'll create an, ama- an enormous metabolic. Uh, oh, you use more. You use more oxygen. Well, no, no, no. Um, so or- if. If you are starving, your body goes into a kind of a starvation metabolism, uh-huh. and so that if you suddenly have a, like a, a large caloric load at that point, um, I think like you become like uh, extraordinarily ketotic, hmm. and uh, uh, it actually becomes life threatening. Oh, interesting. And so anybody who's starving, so for instance, you know, when um, in World War II, as an example, when they when they went to kind of the uh, the concentration camps, mm-hmm. like if they they had to give all the uh, people that who were they had been chronically starved for you know weeks if not months small amounts of bread because if they gave them like a big loaf of bread they would die i see and uh, sounds kind of mean when you look yeah, when you, yeah but it's it's a, but, but, but i know what you but mean but it's but medically appropriate so they see, actually I could see. only give these kids small amounts of food like when they here. first got here. right exactly exactly and they had to they had to ramp them up to actually be able to eat normally uh for the next day or two oh interesting and uh, so the, the physiology is and like and again and they're oxygen deprived oh yeah so you know uh in the recent incredible sequel uh, you know the the mom superhero was also uh, losing oxygen in the plane at the yeah. end. So so that was an acute drop in oxygen, right, right. and she's just all loony. Uh-huh. Here it is just kind of slowly going down, right? Hovering at you know just this level where you might start having something like altitude sickness, kind of like that. Kind of like you're in a mountain or something, right? Right, right. right. Um, but in a cave, it's different. You your CO two can also rise in that in that cave i mean because of the kids and things like right, that right. so high co2 also is really dangerous right well and then like superimposing that the way to get them out was to have them go dive through kind of you know a couple miles of water oh yeah that is so nuts that, i mean the, the whole uh, you know like a whole nother level of physiologic perturbation oh I mean, yeah that's why like they said only there's only a few divers in the world who can manage that that dive right i mean it was I, I, if you think about it, I mean, there might have been no solution to it. There might have been right. Right. I mean, maybe the 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 path that they took to get there, there was like a you know the, the rocks fell in. There was no. It right. could have been that there was no solution. And after three miles of swimming, one would wonder if you'll ever. I mean, it's amazing that they found them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So I guess uh, Elon Musk, you know, uh, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. was trying to come to the rescue with making those like little mini submarines. Yeah. It looked like a like an obelisk or something. Kind yeah. Of like, yeah right? right. Right. Exactly. And uh, again, fortunately, they got the kids out before. But even, I mean, the fact that they were able to pull those kids through that three miles and, and that they, for instance, didn't get the bends. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, that's true. So the bends. Uh, you mean okay? So you go, you dive deep, scuba divers, for right, instance. Right. The nitrogen 
in the oxygen because there's a lot of nitrogen, like 40% or something in the, in the air. That gets dissolved in the blood because of the high pressure. Right. And then if you come quickly up again. Basically, the nitrogen, kind of like uh, the, the, the nitrogen in your blood bubbles, uh, bubbles out. Yeah. Kind of like as if you're opening a Coke can where yeah. basically the pressure changes and that's why you get fizz. Right? Yeah, right, so right. Fizz happens in your blood and that clots off arteries. Yeah, just like a fat ball would clog off your arteries. Exactly. exactly. You can get strokes and things like that. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's extraordinarily painful. Oh yeah, right. The bubbles form in your joints yeah. and that's why you have the, the feeling of pain in the bends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I guess that could have happened. I don't know how deep they were, but that's certainly possible yeah, that's depending true. on, you know, how deep they had to go and then right because right, you know right. they you see this thing on maps in the you know new york times and things like that you just see the 2d right. overview right, i right. have no idea if they're going like you know right right, right, right. yeah like even even a difference of 40 or 50 feet oh. you know that's that's if a, you do it too fast if you do it too fast i see that's that's interesting so this submarine they tabled it huh right well i think they got the kids out as the uh, submarine <laughs> arrived but, but, you know, I mean, you have to give uh, Elon Musk credit for, you know, trying something new. And yeah, you know, I, I saw another thing of his uh, at the Kennedy Space Center recently. I was just there for a day and SpaceX took over, or at least bought, a rent is renting one of the launch pads. So I saw the SpaceX oh, cool. stuff in, uh, on one of the launch pads at the Kennedy Space Center. Um, but I've been hearing more about this other new well, thing. Yeah, his next company yeah, is, right. uh, which is obviously a topic near and dear to my heart, which is yeah. uh, Neuralink. Uh, where you know, what is that? Yeah. so Neural, so you know, his first company was you know Tesla to make you know kind of electric cars. You know, SpaceX, you know, to kind of make rockets. Now he wants to create a, a really robust brain-computer interface, and the idea being that uh, he wants to record from you know a lot, a lot of different neurons in your brain, mm -hmm. uh, and have a seamless interaction between your brain and artificial intelligence to you know magnify your cognitive capabilities. And this is at least somewhat grounded in his his belief that AI might be a danger, right? Now, artificial Presumably, intelligence yeah, that's might right. be dangerous. I think that, like, so he thinks that um, uh, you know AI is is an existential threat, and he's you know he's talking yeah, about like that Terminator a lot. style, yeah, right? That right. once you have you know a, a truly what we call general intelligence, you know AI, meaning they can you know freely think and, and solve problems, that it becomes a threat uh, for humans more more broadly. And uh, uh, one solution that he uh, thinks about in the context of Neuralink is that uh, uh, rather than being separate from the AI, if, if we can make AI a part of us and we can massively enhance our intelligence, that we then become the AIs that can you know, kind of either compete or participate or uh, uh, supersede kind of AI intelligence. I see. So, I'm I mean, sure, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a long shot. Yeah. Uh, no, I like the idea. And augmentations, you know, you and I are all into... Uh, uh, saving things that are already broken, right? right? I mean, augmentation would be a fantastic well, thing I, to look forward to. But. I think, yeah, and as we think about augmentation, I think there's some really interesting dimensions to this. Uh, um, you're right. Like historically, you know, we as physicians, we we restore you know function that's lost. Yeah, you know, right. whether it be you know you fractured your spine and we, we put that back together, you've broken a bone, you've lacerated an artery, yeah. you've got a brain injury, you've got a, you know something, uh, um, you got a brain tumor. But I think there is historical precedence for kind of restoration transitioning to augmentation. I think that the, the most classic example is in plastic surgery. Hmm. A lot of plastic surgery techniques, you know, his, right. looked at historically, were for you know, uh, you know, kind of for facial trauma, you know, kind of reconstructing a nose, reconstructing a face. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, a lot of you know plastic surgery is done for, after mastectomies for breast cancer. But those techniques then got 
trans, you know, transform to something else, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and right. Uh, to you know, quite literally augmentative, you know, uh, um, uh, things. And I think that uh, we'll see similar you know, with neurotech. One can envision uh, um, those same type of transitions, mm -hmm. right? You know, if we can. Again, I work on brain-computer interfaces all the time, and hopefully, the first brain-computer interface um, that we've been developing mm -hmm. will be the first FDA-approved brain-computer interface this year. Um, and it's to help you know patients with stroke. I see. But, but that's really the, the the first domino. Is like once you can start creating these things, and people can use, and there's low risk. Do people use them to perk up your your uh, uh, your capabilities? Memory, for instance. Memory or attention. Mm -hmm. yeah. And imagine you know. And I always love to give this whenever I'm giving a talk. Uh, I, you know, I gave a talk to a bunch of medical students. I said, okay, you know, if you could have a small incision in your scalp, you know. Mm -hmm. Or you know something totally cosmetically you know tolerable, not it's less risky than a tattoo, and I'm going to enhance your memory and your attention. Would you want it? You know all the hands go up. Yeah. Right. Right. And, yeah. Um, and that, but I think that maybe the the bigger question is should we do it? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it entirely you know if his if his vision and this is not your specific. Yeah. 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 I know about the, the, the BCI, the brain computer interface that you've made. It's brilliant. It's going to help people with stroke, the Ipsy hand. Yeah. But I'm not sure if being plugged in necessarily fixes the danger of AI. It's just sort of. That's true. You know, I mean, just being plugged into them. Uh, I'm not, you know, that it's still going to be a problem, possibly. Possibly. I mean, yeah. can, can it make us smart enough? Or more, you know, can we handle the information enough yeah. to compete with an AI? Or can they directly then open? completely, uh, uh, you know, Turn us pursue into a, a revolution. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then yeah. we become machines that they can control too. And then the other issue is, you know, I know it's a small incision and uh, potentially, but the risk of uh, permanent implants, risk of infection and, and things like I that. I think those things can be handled. Although, you know, maybe, uh, because I think a lot of people like to talk about the danger of AI and also the, the risks of, you know, a connect, like, you know, for instance, if I could have access to your brain, are you hackable? Are you mani can we manipulate you? Right, right. But I think also to look on the, the, the positive side of this mm -hmm. from a social standpoint is that the more we can enhance our intelligence, uh, generally speaking, you know, whether it be with AI, whether it be our own augmentation, mm -hmm. I think there's a case to be made for an improved intelligence to solve big problems. Meaning, I agree with that. Like, so if you look at, like, you know, the last 30 years, you know, what is really... You know, if you look at our, our current neural augments, which are computers, mm -hmm. right? Um, that that massive imp improvement in um, computation has solved a lot of problems. That you know, whether it be you know kind of you know, mapping out the human genome, whether it be you know uh, a weather prediction, you know, whether it be just everybody having computers and communication. That we've probably solved a lot more issues than we created. With the processing power. With the processing yeah, I, power. I would so agree. If you can improve human intelligence to continue to cre be more creative and more innovative and have a better ability to solve problems, you know, we've got big problems coming up like, you know, aging, you know, population, uh, you know, how do you feed, you know, kind of, you know, a population when it hits 10 billion, you know, when you're past and, peak oil. And, like, and they have dementia, right, uh, yeah, for instance, from Alzheimer's. Exactly. Yeah, like, right. How do we solve these really, really global level problems? Well, we need to have a lot of intelligence to kind of create new solutions. So, so there, just as I think that there are the risks of privacy, manipulation, uh, just surgical, you know, yeah, risks, medical risk, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but are they offset by the potential for uh, um, solving some really problems that threaten our species and our Earth? 
Do you think it'd be, you know, among the billionaires, there might be a, a nuclear arms type race to augment themselves, or? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, then you have a, you you have a, a objective advantage for certain things now, right? and you have, let's say, version 2.0. I got their version 1.0. But I, I mean, you know. isn't that already happening? I mean, like you look at like the uh, uh, the the competition in supercomputer creation. Like you know, like every you know every year, or so you hear about one nation having the, the, the biggest, baddest, yeah, fastest, right, you know, right. like supercomputer, and how that gives them some advantage for something. Yeah. But I guess could that could that look quaint twenty years from now? You yeah. Know, where basically you know, who's got the most uh, 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 intellectually high powered you know uh, uh, population? Right. Right. I mean, does it look as palatable at the individual level? You know, these all these court cases about affirmative action and things like that. Um, particularly about Asian Americans recently, I'm right, actually, yeah, right, right. Uh, you know, at the individual level, if you have an advantage because of a brain-computer interface, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does, you know, what are the optics on that thing, you know? Yeah, it, there, there definitely are optics. Yeah. Although, again, like, how much, how different is it from today if when you think about somebody from a higher socioeconomic status who's got access to prep school or something, prep school, a, you know, a good computer, a, a kind of a, you know, a really good mobile phone, Who's always getting like you know online tutoring or something like that to yeah. somebody who's kind of in a uh, a underdeveloped urban area who doesn't have access to that. I agree with that, but I mean, I mean, I can just imagine maybe the laser eyes staring at you right. <laughs> while you're interviewing him. You know, <laughs> it might be, a, but I, I no, I understand. No, yes. I understand. Yeah, yeah. There are more layers behind that, but it might be a similar principle. I, I mean, agree with that. It's, I, it's a, I, I guess it's in many ways. It's a more physical manifestation of the social stratification that we already see. Right, right. Uh, it would like, be much more direct, I mean, yeah, in your face right, right, for sure, right? Right, 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 yeah. You know, they're already doing this testing, uh, you know, like we were talking about mm -hmm. before, uh, of these brain-computer interfaces on animals. And mm -hmm. I have dogs, you used to have dogs, actually. Yeah. Uh, what I, I heard they're trying to make communicators for these animals. Uh, in the first phase of, uh, you know, Neuralink. Well, it's interesting. I mean, basically so that they can essentially uh, unlock the neural code of how, you know, information is being represented. And I guess, you know, once you do that on a little rodent level, can you enhance the ability to communicate with that rodent? You know? <laughs> Although, interestingly, so there is a really interesting example out of Duke uh, um, where they had two mice doing brain-to-brain -brain communication. We're basically going to do one, you know, so the, the mice had to accomplish a dual task. And like one mouse was in Brazil, one they mouse had to was coordinated. In, and they had to coordinate. So they literally had to send, their brain signals would send over stimulation to one and, and to the other mouse. And that mouse would send stimulation back through their, their neural code. I see. And so they literally would share kind of in, you know, thoughts. Uh, or thoughts. They would share thoughts to accomplish this task. And so I guess, you know, where we could have a brain-computer interface in the future, I guess, getting at your questions, like, do, can we have a pet-computer interface? Or can now, like, uh, when the dog barks, you can say, you know, hey. Oh, you need to go. Oh, yeah, I need yeah, to right. go outside now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I guess it would, it would elevate, you know, if we all had brain-computer interfaces, could share thoughts. We can now share thoughts with not just humans anymore. I wonder if you could gate your thoughts, though. <laughs> you know, you don't, you know, you're, you're thinking some things, you're saying other things. Not in an unethical way, but just just to be a normal, polite person. Right, right, right. right. Um, I wonder if dogs would do the same thing. I wonder if they're. You know. I don't think they would. I mean, I guess. Well, they would probably much like you know, my four-year-old son, who you know is happy to tell me, you know, with an, uh, without filter about what he thinks about the world. You yeah, know what I mean? I think, like, I think the dogs might be more sincere. I think you're right about well, they're that. They're trying to be more sincere then.